Switching to Geico is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, Geico makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, Geico has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to Geico. It's obviously a good idea. But it's going to be an interesting one this morning. I'm ready to preach it. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get into this because we're fixing to get all in everybody's business this morning. Uh, I'm getting right in your business. I'm getting in my business. I'm getting in your neighbor's business. We're getting in everybody's business this morning, and we're going to find and put the devil on notice that we know something this morning that he thinks we don't know. And we've got something that's going to cripple some things that he's doing. By the time this message is over, you're going to feel a whole lot more secure and a whole lot more um, ready and available to attack some of the things that he's putting out. How many would say this morning that you believe the culture you live in today is completely different from when you were a kid? Completely different. I mean, just completely different. From the time my wife and I had our first child to now, it is different. But I do know something that even in today's society, we're taught a lot of things. We're taught, one, to deal with things and that weakness is an issue. That you shouldn't have weakness and weakness is never a good thing which is contrary to what God's word says because he says in our weakness, we find his strength. So if we're never weak, we never find the right strength that we actually need in life to begin with. But the society we live in will tell you if you're weak at any point in life, you've got a problem, that you shouldn't be weak, you should be strong, and that's where pride comes from, and and all these things build up. And I want to help you today, but the reason I'm saying that is this, because this lives to lifestyles where people think that living that way is the right thing to do. Living what way, pastor? Hiding issues. Whenever a society begins to teach you that weakness is a bad thing, we will hide the issues that show weakness. We will begin to let things on the inside of us build up that overcome us and take us over. That's why whenever we establish this church, we establish a culture that says that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to be okay with not being okay. Yeah, that's a little tongue twisting. That's why I paused. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, basically. When I know something's going on in my life, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay not to let somebody know that I'm not okay. It's never okay to deal with things alone in life. It's never okay to be that. So we launched a church that would be transparent in the way we communicate. That we would be transparent from the pulpit all the way to the seats. That we believe that through four core values that many of you know here, know Jesus, find freedom, discover purpose, impact eternity, that you can actually begin to reveal weaknesses in your life that will make you and others actually stronger. Here's the issue. Once you discover your purpose, the traditional style church will tell you that now that you have accepted a calling and a purpose, you're no longer allowed to be weak anymore. 
that if you are vulnerable or if you are transparent or you show signs of weakness, that you're not equipped or qualified to be operating in the calling in which God has given you. So that's why we've seen in 2018, 19, and 20 that the pastoral suicide rate was so high because ministries have built the culture that we don't say anything and we never become transparent. That's not the way we do it here. We created an environment here where people are more important than position, where your life is more important than the title you carry, which means this, that, Pastor, I'm struggling But I know if I say anything, it may take me off of the stage or it may take me out of my position. Here's the deal. There are certain things that may take you out of it. But there are certain things in life that you walk through in a journey, that you help. There's times and there's seasons. But what good does it do you or your family in life if you never open up about anything? So here we go. Let me give you some eye-opening statistics, and then I'm going to preach this message to you. We come off of one of the most powerful camps I've been a part of, and I've been speaking on it for two weeks, and I'm not going to stop until it, gets, it just drives it home. But I found, and my wife found, and our team found, that we counseled more kids in, in, in the middle school to high school, even elementary school age group that has either had suicidal thoughts or attempted suicide in this year's camp. We've seen more kids on medication than ever before. And I'm not talking about Tylenol and ibuprofen. I'm talking about other things. Let me help you out. I preached a message about two years ago that was along the lines of this one, and I gave these same statistics, the first half. Second half's new. But the first half of these statistics I gave, and sometimes in my mind as a pastor, I'm thinking, where did you get these numbers from? I just don't even make sense until I had camp this year. And I went back and read these statistics, and I said, wow, God was telling us two years ago that this was realer than we thought. Listen to this. Depression is the leading cause of mental health disabilities in America, now affecting over 240 million people. Half of mental disorders begin at the age of 14. That means that majority of middle schoolers are beginning to battle mental disorders as they enter middle school. Listen, there's 800,000 suicides each year. You know what that means? One person every 40 seconds on average commits suicide. Because of what? A lack of conversation, a lack of transparency, a lack of being vulnerable in weaknesses. Suicide is the second leading cause of death between ages 15 to 29. One in nine people in settings affected by conflict have moderate to severe mental disorders. People affected by mental disorders die 10 to 20 years earlier than the general population. One in five of the world's children and adolescents will have some form of mental disorder. Now watch this. That's what I read two years ago. These are from 2020. Mental health hotline has went up 900% in phone calls since 2020. The CDC reported one out of four under the age of 30 considered suicide just in 2020. One out of 10 of the rest of those numbers considered it. Divorce filings went up 20% in 2020. Listen to this one right here, and this one's going to help you with what I just said about camp. Antidepressant medication is up 300% just in 2020. How do we get to that point in life? Where do we get to the point to where the kids have a, a way out or the kids have an answer? What am I trying to tell you this morning? I'm trying to tell you something really important, that the world is being blamed for this. 
That, Pastor, it's got to do with the world. It's got to do with their school. It's got to do with the society. It's got to do with the culture. Let me give you a eye-awakening answer. It's got to do with the church. The church's responsibility is to reach these youth. The church's responsibility is to help them through these situations. So this morning, I've come with one message for you, and the one message is to show the enemy we understand what is going on. We understand where he's at with our youth, with our young adults, with our marriages. With the, we understand it all. We see the insight I'm fixing to give you, and we're going to settle it this morning. And I know some are saying right now, he ain't talking to me. Well, if I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor, so put it in your pocket. You're going to need it next year. I'm talking to somebody on your row. I'm talking to somebody in this room. This is as real as it gets this morning. Pastor, I'm strong. Pastor, I have faith. Pastor, I believe in God. You're not exempt. You're not exempt from it. I pray every day. You're not exempt. I speak in tongues. You're not exempt. I fast. You're not exempt. I show up at church. I pay my tithes. You're not exempt this morning. We all have needs if we're willing to to confess. Let Let me give you a background. Why am I telling you this today? I used to have this mentality of depression and anxiety that was just get over it. My wife will tell you. I was probably the most hard-nosed, egotistic, rude person when it came to that, as a pastor, because my thing was, this is silly. Like, get up, wake up, get on your feet, because I was brought up in ministry that this was just people that were constantly in the ditch. They were constantly in the valley. Every time you talk to them, they'd say, oh, they just always in the ditch. Oh, they just always in the valley. They just always down. They always got something going on until they commit suicide, and you can't speak to them no more. And then we think, well, what about the one conversation that would have changed it all? 2018, my wife and I, let's not say my wife and I, let's just say me. I went through probably one of the hardest years. She was able to recognize it. We were transitioning. Now, here's the cool thing about it. My life wasn't bad. Ministry wasn't bad. Church was growing at a faster rate than it had ever grown. Ministry was not bad. Life wasn't bad. Finances wasn't bad. Nothing was bad in life. Everything was good. Everything seemed like it was great. But there was something inside of me that was just an emptiness that I could not get over. Preach, people respond. Go here, people respond. Everything was great, but I couldn't see it. And my wife would tell me all the time, she's like, Derek, you're struggling with something. I said, I'm not struggling with anything. I'm a pastor. I don't struggle with nothing. And she'd say, I'm telling you, something is going on inside of you. You're not yourself. But because I could look in the mirror and I, I had no cosmetic flaws, And what I was looking at didn't mean I didn't have cardiovascular issues on the inside that people couldn't see. The problem is, is that most of our problems are not cosmetic. They're cardiovascular and they're hidden in the heart. And unless we really get down to it and get transparent and real about it, we don't find them. And so she was telling me, she's like, Derek, you're facing some things you don't realize. Come to find out, guys, I was going through a battle with depression I didn't even realize. Now, guess what I found to be interesting? All the spiritual people that was in my life that had, I had watched beat down all these people over these, 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 these problems that they were dealing with over the past 10 years of ministry or eight years of ministry at the time, they walked by me every day, and guess what? They couldn't even see it. The ones that was the closest to me other than my wife could not realize that on the inside I was struggling until God showed me. He said, Derek, there's something going on that you need to deal with. Church, let me tell you something. This is a bigger issue than you think this morning. This, this, is, this is a bad thing because we see people and we say, man, that guy's got issues. Man, that guy's mental. 
Man, something's not right with that guy. But I want to tell you something. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind and brain. It's an emergency signal to your body. And if we don't start to recognize the things that are going on in, life of, in the life of people, we're going to watch the people closest to us do things that we never thought they would do. When I got the phone call two weeks ago of a youth pastor that said, Pastor, one of my good friends, he said, man, I love you. I got to tell you something. He said, one of my youth killed themselves. And I, I'm thinking like, whoa. He said, I never imagined. He said, Derek, their whole family is good. The parents said they seen no, nothing. We knew nothing was going on. Those are the ones that we say have an issue. Here's the problem. If we address it today, as I go through these points, if, if, if we really say, you know what, God, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to give you all of my attention, and I'm going to let you really speak to my heart about this. And I'm going to let you use me as a vessel to help this situation. I'm going to let you use me to be the difference. I believe God's going to do something miraculous in this service. And here's what I want you to realize. We can't continue to make big deals in negative situations. If you see me walking with a cane this morning, you're probably not going to say anything ugly about me. You just think there's something wrong with me. We don't, we don't blow that situation up. If you see me walking or, or in a wheelchair this morning, you're going to know there's something going on with me, but we're not going to make a big deal about it. But when you see somebody struggling with depression, church people are so prone to say, man, they just need to get over it. Man, just get over it and get up. How are you going to claim to be a part of God and you can't even get out your situation? Let me tell you something. We've got to start to treat these things the same way we treat everything else. Here we go. The Bible was written not in a form of perfection. Sometimes we say that the Bible was written in perfection, but let me help you here. In the Old Testament, Lamentations 3 and 17, listen what Jeremiah writes. This is a prophet. He says, I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor's gone, and all that I hope for from the Lord. He said, I remember my affliction and my wandering. He says, the bitterness of the gall, I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah's talking about this same struggle. Of course, Jeremiah, you're dealing with some negative thoughts. Of course, you're dealing with these things because everything's downcast and my thoughts are in the wrong place. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Let me help you in the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and 8, he says, we do not want to be, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the providence of Asia. Listen, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Paul said, we're ready to give up with life too. One of the greatest apostles in the New Testament struggled with the same thing. He said, I, I was going through troubles and we were ready to just give up ourselves. Church, this goes way back in the Bible and it's more relevant today than ever. One of the biggest battles in life, I want you to know, normally comes right after your biggest victory. How do I know that? Sundays for me are that way. Sundays are me for that way because we'll have a tremendous service. I'm talking about God moving, people in the altars, people's lives being changed and healed. And then when service is over and everybody leaves, I'll go right back to my office and I'll begin to think about the things that didn't go right. What about the media that was skipping? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And I'll take these thoughts, and if you're not careful and you don't take these thoughts captive, you'll find yourself in a negative, anxious, depression state of mind. Because the biggest battle is where the enemy wants to bring the biggest battle. When I get the biggest victory, he wants to bring my biggest battle. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture today. 
Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 is coming off the biggest battle of his whole ministry in the Old Testament. He has just defeated the prophets of Baal and Asher. You would think that he's in the moment of his life where he's like, man, everything's great. Like, man, we just smoked them all. You know what I'm saying? They, They said their God was God. I said my God was God. I let them go first. I laughed at them. I mocked them. I made fun of them. I put the things on the altar. I called down fire from heaven. Fire sucked up all the trenches of water. We defeated all the prophets. They're all gone. Everything's over. Life's good. Let's go. That's not what happened. Listen to what scripture says. Right after he does this, in 19 chapter 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. <laughs> you would think Elijah would laugh at that. Number one, it's because it was, a, uh, it was don't take this the wrong way, but it was a woman sending the threat. And he's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. But he didn't take it that way. Listen to what it says. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Bad, bad, bad deal. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush. Watch this. Sat down under it and he prayed, listen, that he might die. How do you come off with the greatest victory in the Old Testament and then go and pray that God takes your life? And nobody did anything to him. The only thing happened to Elijah was he got a death threat. And the, the thing about it is, is the enemy knows this about your life and mine. He cannot take your life. He knew that. But if he knew that he could get back in the mind of Elijah, that Elijah would want his own life taken. So Elijah comes off this victory and he goes back and now he says, take my life. He says, listen, I have had enough, Lord. I'm done with this. He said, take my life. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now, I'm going to give you a whole template of how this works out. I'm going to show you your life. I'm going to show you my life. He's hiding in a cave. He's he's full of depression. He's full of anxiety. He thinks he has no reason to live. And let me tell you what's going on. His life is dark, and he's become numb to everything around it. People don't take their life because they're ready just to go. People take their life because they've become numb to life. They don't see beauty in life. They don't see beauty in situations. They're numb to all of it. So here we go. Point number one. The world will tell you this, that chemical imbalances is what causes all this. I want to tell you this morning, I don't believe it that way. I do believe that there are people who struggle from disorders that have chemical imbalances. But after studying this out for for a little bit before preaching it this morning again, listen, I believe it's life imbalances. I believe that we bring it on ourselves. I believe that we struggle to balance the success in life and the tribulations in life. And because we can't balance them, we just say, God, take it all from us. Elijah had victory. Elijah had tribulation. Elijah said, God, take it from me. We go into the greatest jobs of our career. And two or three months later, we wish we weren't in them. We go and have kids as parents. And two, three, four, five years down the road, we can't wait till they leave the house. We get a church that's growing at a rapid rate, and four or five months down the road when problems hit, we think, well, we're doing the right thing. It's an imbalance in life that brings these things on, and I believe if we can get a hold of life this morning, then we can get a hold of what's doing this. It's not people that's just in the ditch, but it's a failure to life, and life is your prominent driving point to everything you think. The enemy is a tap-out orders. Listen to me. Did y'all watch the fight? Who watched the fight last night? Everybody wasted y'all's money? Gosh. 
Y'all start just paying that here. I'm going to tell y'all what happens. Because I'm going to get, like I did this morning, I'm going to get on, the, on Google and find out what happened. But the enemy is a tap-out artist. Very few times in the Bible, if any, did I see the enemy punch and give knockouts. Every time that he won, it was because somebody tapped out. Somebody gave up. The imbalance of life was too great. They couldn't do it anymore. And I think today that it's, it's, the, it's our lifestyle is the driving factor while what we're facing. These youth over here, the reason they're, they're the number one driving factor in this is because of the lifestyles they're choosing. It's because of social media. It's because of trying to balance who God's created them to be and who social media wants them to be. And because they can't balance it, let me tap out. Because I can't become the girl, I can't become the guy that my friends want me to become. And when I can't become it, I tap out. So now I have bad attitude and all these things. The next thing you know, I'm on medication for it. And let me tell you what all these antidepressant and all these anti-anxiety or whatever medications will do. It's going to rob people of their life. I believe that modern medicine is good at times. But I also believe in a healing God that will take the things in our life and help us to balance it to make us who we need to be. I don't believe that, that society all of a sudden just became the highest, most depressed and anxious society ever out of nowhere, and God created it to be that way. I don't believe that. I believe that we've brought this on ourselves and we brought it in our own homes. Here's the thing. There has to come a point where we get out of a me mentality and look for a we mentality. There, there has to come a point when serving God is when we get out of a, a me mentality and I become a we mentality. That I, that I say, you know what, it's, it's more about the things that we can do to impact our city than the things that I can do to impact myself. Why am I saying that this morning? The last time I preached on depression, a lady come to me and she said, I ain't coming to your church no more. And I said, why? She said, because I've been coming here three months and you've only checked on me one time. I said, well, great. I'm glad you're not coming no more. Because here's the deal. I want people surrounded around me that are more worried about we than me. Because I told her, I said, guess what? All the time you've been coming here, I never got a phone call either. Never checked on the pastor. So do we just check on people or do we check on leadership too? It's a we mentality. We're one body created. And because of this, we're watching key aspects of life slip away from people because of the depression and the mindset. Listen to what the Bible says about it. Ecclesiastes 4 and 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What's that mean? Sometimes in life we think that we're better when we have two. Maybe I need to have two jobs. No, maybe I need to have one job that I can balance. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Maybe I need to have more money. No, maybe I just need to have enough money that I can balance my life. Maybe I need to do, no, no, maybe I just need one. 
You know why I say this? Because what we'll do is we'll create a life that is doable but not sustainable. Are y'all hearing me this morning? We can create a church that is doable but not sustainable. What I'm saying that for is there come a point in our church where we had no point but to hire staff. Why? Because we created a doable church, but it was not sustainable in the route we were going. It was killing the leadership that was leading it because we had got so fast we could no longer balance it. It's the same way in life this morning. Watch what happens. He says, I'm no longer better than my ancestors. Point number two is this. I think one of the biggest causes of it is because we measure success by the past. We measure our success by the past. He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. What did his ancestors have to do with it? What what did anything that was going on in his ancestors' life have to do with it? Matter of fact, here's the thing. I want to give you a notice this morning. If you follow me on Facebook, you're no longer going to do that after today. I'm, what I'm doing with my Facebook and our social media is assigning it to our team. I'll no longer post from it. Because here's what's happening in our society, church. We know more about everybody else's home and nothing about our own. We know everything about is going on in the side of everybody else's house and where they're at, what they're doing, what they're eating, what they're cooking, where they're on vacation, what they bought, what they didn't buy, what they went through. But we don't even see what's going on in our own houses. But depression's high. So I made a vow, I said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to shuck it, and I'm going to get it away to try to keep it away. You know why I did that? Because I read an article. You know what the article said? The ones that are creating these platforms, like Instagram and Snapchat and all this, the founders of them are writing articles saying that they regret and they apologize for creating them, and their children are not even allowed to be on them because it's transforming the mind of a generation. Listen to me. The imbalances of life are affecting the youth. The imbalances of life are affecting our homes. Galatians 6 and 4, he says this. Each side should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. What does that mean? Comparison will steal your joy. Comparison will steal your joy. Comparison is the thief of all joy, as Roosevelt wrote it. When I compare what I have to somebody else, I've stole the joy of what God has blessed me with. I come up through ministry, early in ministry, and here's what I did, just being completely transparent. Early in ministry, there were pastors I wanted to be like, preachers I wanted to preach like, teachers I wanted to teach like, churches I wanted to build like, people you wanted to dress like, all these things. And let me tell you what happened as you pursue those things. Every person I've ever sought after ended up failing me. He says, let every man count his own load. Weigh your own load. Let everything going on in your life be effective. Don't compare what you have to the other life. Don't compare what you have to the vacation that you see on Facebook. Can I tell you something? We've posted those pictures in our family too that look really pretty on the beach. And we almost killed each other before we took it. We come to church and walk in the church on Sunday mornings as pastors with a smile on our face too. And we threw shoes down the hallway before we left. Life is the same for people. But you can't look at what somebody else has and says, oh, that's what I want. No, no, no. you got to start looking at what God has already given you and say, I want to make the best with what God's blessed me with. I want to make the best with what God's given me. I'm not going to look at, at little Johnny because little Johnny's a star athlete and wish my kid was that way. I'm going to take my kid and find the gift in my kid and let God use my kid the way he wants to use my kid. I'm not going to look at that marriage and say, oh, that's so pretty. They never argue. Let me tell you something. They're probably beating each other behind the doors and you don't even know it. 
Let every man, let every man weigh his own and carry their own load. The other thing is this, selective hearing. <laughs> Anybody got that? Come on, y'all being quiet on me this morning. <laughs> Not my favorite message either. But if we don't preach it, we're going to be in trouble. Selective hearing. I do that with my kids. I'm probably the only father with five kids that my kids can scream going down the highway and I can read the Bible or think about a message. And my wife's talking to me and I don't hear nobody. And she's like, you, you don't, do you not hear them? No. You don't hear that kid hollering your name for 20 minutes. Nope. How? <laughs> because I choose not to. <laughs> There's a thing called selective ignorance as well. That I choose what I need to read, what I need to listen to, and what I don't. What does that mean? That means get out the newspapers, get off CNN, get off Fox News, get off the Internet, get off those things and limit your mind to the things that you need to be hearing. It's called selective ignorance. The ignorant things I don't need in my life, I'm going to be selective about how much I allow in my life because once it comes in my life, it's going in their life. Same thing. It works the same way. How do you know that that to be true? One of the things that is interesting about us as, as humans and the way we've been created is this. You'll take thoughts and you'll bring up thoughts in your mind. How many can say today, Pastor, the biggest battles in my life are the thoughts that I bring on myself? Situations that are already over with that I bring back up. They call it ruminating. That's what cows do. You know how that works? Cows will go and they'll chew the grass and, man, they chew it all up and then they swallow it. And then guess what they do? They bring it back up. And they chew it all up again, and they swallow it. And they bring it back up. And they chew it all again, and they swallow it. Can I tell you, the taste didn't get no better from the first to the last. And your thoughts ain't going to either. The more I bring things up that God has already tried to put away, and I bring it back up, and God's trying to put it away, and I bring it back up, and God's trying to put it away, it's not getting any better every time that I bring it up. I've got to be selective in the things I allow. Elijah, he replied, he said, listen how he lied. He ruminated to himself. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He said, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. Listen to what he says. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. One, he was lying. He wasn't the only one left. God still had people there that were serving him. But Elijah lied to himself and brought his past back up. And let these thoughts take him captive again. So now that he thinks he's the only one, but it was far from true. This is where we take our problems. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean this morning? 95% of our emotions are determined by the way we talk to ourselves. Come on, Brother RJ. What am I telling you right there? A lot of times we say, I just can't stand how they talk to me. You're going to say that a lot less in life than what you tell yourself. 95% of the problems in our life is what we've already told ourselves. That bill's going to be late and we ain't going to get past it. How many times are you going to tell yourself that? How many days are you going to harp on it? How many days are you going to bring it back up? I had to claim bankruptcy. We can't buy this house because we had to claim bankruptcy. We can't buy this truck because we had to claim bankruptcy. I went through a divorce. My kids will never be happy because I went through a divorce. I'll never be the mom I'm supposed to be because I went through a divorce. I'll never be the dad I'm supposed to be because I went. How many times are you going to bring it back up? How many times is self-talk going to drive the things that you're dealing with? Philippians 4 and 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice. And the God of what? Peace will be with you. I want to help you this morning. You'll never get out of that state of mind. And I know everybody's not going to raise their hand and say they struggle with it, but I know better. Until the peace of God enters your life. You're not going to get past this. These kids are not going to get past this until our thoughts become positive. Until we start to understand what this fourth point says right here. That that we need to learn as a church and we need to learn as a people how to process pain. We're taking pain in our life and we're letting it defeat us. Thank Corinthians, who comforts us in all trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble. With the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Listen, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. How about that be our note for this week? Yeah, I just want to be blessed, Pastor. No, I just want to suffer. Because the more I suffer with Christ, the better off I'm going to be. The more I let him work through me in my weakness, the more I'm vulnerable, the more I show my weakness, the more I'm transparent, the better my life's going to become. I wish the church sometimes would take all the blessing posts down and start talking about the sufferings. Paul didn't say it that way. Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him in his painful moments. I want to know him because I know if I can get in that moment with Jesus, then I know in my moment he's already there. I know when that negative talk comes back up and all the past that I've been through, when it comes back up, he's already there. He's already made a way. Church, we all have bad days. But we got to quit listening to the world that says you were born to pursue happiness. Do you realize happiness on earth is not the goal? Happiness on earth is knowing that you have a God that is in the business to rescue your soul and will pull you from an earth that is nothing to be happy about and take you to a place of rejoicing. My life is not to try to be as happy as I can be in an earthly mindset. My life is to be joyful in a heavenly mindset knowing that my God is rescuing me from the earthly pain and taking me to a place where it'll be no more. Self-talk. What I tell myself, Jesus told you the best. He said, you know what? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Granted, that's why when the world tells you the world is full of happiness, you might as well look back whoever says that and say, that's a lie because Jesus said it's full of tribulation. But he told me that I can be excited and I can, and I can have heart and I can have all this, this joy because he's already overcome it. So my life's not good because I don't have problems. My life's good because my Savior's already overcome it. When we don't do that, we turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we turn to TV, we turn to video games, we turn to relationship. In church, that's not it. It's not the answer. You have to learn something this morning. I tell these all the time. It's one of my favorite little, Brother RJ calls them message one-liners. Your pain is the passport to your purpose. You got to learn how to use it. I can't keep dwelling on the bankruptcy. I can't keep dwelling on the divorce. I can't keep dwelling that I've lost my job. 
I can't keep dwelling that I have health issues. I've got to learn that my pain and my past is the passport to my purpose, which means if I was addicted to drugs, most likely that's the pain of my past, and it's a passport for my purpose to help somebody else that's already addicted to drugs. If I've been in bankruptcy, then it's probably the pain of my past that has become a passport through the blood of Jesus to go into my purpose and help other people how to manage their finances. If I've been in a divorce and it was ugly and all these things, it's probably the pain of my past that became my passport through the blood of Jesus to have a purpose to help those who are struggling in marriage. I have to learn that my pain in my past is not the end result. It is the passport to where I am going. Depression rides it backwards. It tells you that it's your bondage of where you'll stay. Here's my favorite scripture, and I'm going to let you go about that. There was a man in the Bible that had an illness. And his friends took him on a bed. And they took him to Jesus. And he couldn't get in the building because it was so full. There were so many people waiting in line outside. There was no room for him to go in. And here's the thing. He had such good friends that they took the roof off the top of the building and they lowered him down in. But I want to show you something. I don't want you to miss this. We believe that when God heals us, he should take everything away from us. But he didn't do that. Here's what I know to be true. Jesus told him, he said, here's the deal. Take up your bed and go, for you've been healed. But why didn't he say just leave the bed right here? Why didn't he say get out of the bed and walk and go to your house and leave everything here? He said, take it with you. Why? Because when I walk into a relationship with Jesus, my past and my pain has me. That stretcher had him as he came through that roof. He couldn't get off of it. He was stuck to it. He was relying on it and everything in his past was stuck to that stretcher. But when Jesus got a hold of his life, he said, take that stretcher with you because although you still have it, it don't no longer have you. And what you're going to do is you're going to take it back with you out this building because somebody else might need it. Somebody else might need just what you just got healed from. Somebody else might need the life that you just struggled with. They need the words. They need to know how you made it. They need to know how it happened. Who did you look to? Who did you call on? What happened when you woke up at night and you couldn't get up and you, you couldn't do nothing but cry? What happened when you broke down in front of your kids? What happened when you had to tell your spouse you lost your job? What happened when the doctor told you it was the worst news ever? What happened? What did you do with it? But if we don't become transparent and we don't learn to be vulnerable about our past and the scars of our life, we're just going to watch a generation fade off and commit suicide until the end is over. And we're going to lose everybody close to us because we're not vulnerable. So fight the fight. And stop trying to be alone. If I asked you right now, what was the first problem in the Bible? I'm just curious what somebody would say. What was the very first problem in the Bible? 75 to 80% of the church right now would say sin. Pastor, sin was the first problem in the Bible. That was not the first problem. The first problem was loneliness. Way before sin entered, God said it's not good for man to be alone. That was the first problem in the Bible. What did he do? He created a woman. He gave a solution. 
what was he trying to show us? Loneliness is never the answer. So when I'm going through and things in life and I say, I just need to be alone, just give me some time, that's not the answer. That was the first problem in the Bible. When I say I'm better off doing it by myself, I'm going to get through this, it's going to be all right, just give me some time, that's not the answer. The answer is find somebody to do life with. When my marriage is struggling, find a couple that's got a marriage that's going well and do life with them and let them help you. You can't do it alone. The Bible says that we're one body. Every one of us is connected to each other and we all need one another. Loneliness is never the answer for anxiety or depression. Stand to your feet. In our life, things happen and we begin to face things. The Bible calls them strongholds. And we believe oftentimes that the further we get away from life, the further I get away from my problems, the better my life's going to be. But I can't flip this thing. I can push and push all my weight, and it does nothing. Here I am. I really want God in my life, right here. But I want God to just stay in certain areas of my life. So God, as bad as I want you, I don't want you to get too close. I just want you to stay where you're still touching me. And see, here's what happens. But I got problems and I can't do nothing. In that season, life adds you another one. And if I couldn't flip the first one, what makes you think I'm going to flip the last one? If God's way over there in my life, God, help me, but stay where you are. I want to go to church on Wednesday. I want to go to church on Sunday, but I don't want to be involved in church, and I don't want to get close and do life with nobody. I want you in my life, but I want you right here. I just need you when I call on you. The whole point of this is the closer I get to God and God begins to come into my life, the leverage increases my life. The things you're facing, getting away from people and getting away from church and getting away from God is not the answer. The answer is to grow closer, closer until God flips the problems of your life and shows you who he is. These altars are open this morning. We can be the generation that continues with the current of everything that's going on, that lets church just be church, hear a message, say amen, go home. Or we can be a generation that hears a message, gets in the altars, and pleads with God to let us be the vessel that makes the difference. Pastor, why the altars? Right there. There's nothing more powerful than people in the same altars with the same purpose and the same vision to see a world change for the better. I don't have anything to pray about this morning, Pastor. Look to your left all the way to that wall and look at them youth. 
I just read you the statistics. You now have something to pray for. Father, we love you today. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. God, we understand that the situations in life are more serious than we give credit. But Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this morning, God, that we would be a people of transparency. God, we wouldn't hide things in. We wouldn't hold things back. If it's weakness, it's weakness. If it's strength, it's strength. But I pray this morning that our hearts would be softened, God. Our minds are cleared from everything in this moment. Understanding that there is a serious situation going on in the thoughts and lives of people. God, I pray this morning that we draw so close to you that you would break the chains this morning. God, we would invite you into our situation. Lord, maybe we've never invited you into our life. The Bible says that if we'll repent of our sins this morning, you are just, you're faithful. You'll forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just with the words of Lord, forgive us. God, I pray for every person in this building, Lord, and I pray that as these altars open, God, that your spirit will begin to move. Lord, you'd begin to heal. God, you'd begin to break walls down. You'd begin to set us free from the thoughts in our own minds, from the actions in our own hearts. You are worthy to be praised, God, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, worship. Zenny offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit zenny.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D virtual try-on. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenny.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at $6.95.